chat. It really is a joy. Sorry, I have, have extraordinarily small ears for a big man. Um, I don't know what that says about me, but uh, some trouble with that. It really is a joy to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for having us here. We feel very welcome. We've been made to feel very welcome. And it's lovely to be able to bring uh, a message to you this morning. I'm particularly glad that we started out our service this morning thinking about the situation in Israel. And I'm sure it's been on all of our hearts this week as we've watched the news and seen the footage. And I've seen so many people taking sides. And that breaks my heart. We know personally the Prince of Peace. Isn't that incredible? We know the Prince of Peace. And Jesus promised to us was that he would leave us with his peace. He would give us his peace, not as the world gives. Jesus' peace is more than just a cessation of violence. It is knowing him. It is assurance and certainty. And I would like us, um, really as, as a church, but not just this church, but as, a, as, a, as the Christian church, to lean in to that, to that peace that Jesus brings in our prayers as we pray for that situation in Israel. We know the Prince of Peace, and, and I pray that people would know that assurance, that certainty, that they are valued, that they have worth. It's interesting, um, I was given the, the, the title of the topic of the sermon is Love Your Neighbour, and as I was thinking about it and formulating it, obviously that was before this situation in Israel came up, but perhaps it's pertinent in lots of ways, um, what it is to love your neighbour. I want to start just reading a few verses from Luke chapter 10, verse 25. A lawyer got up and put Jesus on the spot. Teacher, he said, what should I do to inherit the life of the coming age? Well, replied Jesus, what is written in the law? What's your interpretation of it? You shall love the Lord your God, he replied, with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your understanding, and your neighbour as yourself. Well said, replied Jesus, do that and you will live. Ah, said the lawyer, wanting to win the point, but who is my neighbour? Are there any lawyers in here this morning? Good, just before I insult you. Um, I, I like this lawyer. I like his tenacity. The goal that he has to question Jesus. And I like that Jesus doesn't mind his question. I like that uh, the lawyer's answer is right. In the other synoptic gospels, in Mark and Matthew, it's Jesus who gives the answer, not the lawyer. It doesn't really matter. The answer is right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and understanding and neighbour as yourself. I don't like the lawyer's follow-up question. Partly because it comes from a wrong attitude. The first question could be genuine curiosity. It could be genuinely seeking God. It could be genuinely looking for eternal life. We know from that this little dialogue came after a discussion with the Sadducees about the resurrection and about eternal life. So it makes sense 
that his desire to hear Jesus explain the way to eternal life is genuine. But his follow-up question, Scripture tells us, comes from a desire to win. It's frustrating. And something I think that we need to be aware of when we are chatting about the things of God, chatting about our faith to people. Some people just want to win the point. He asks, who is my neighbour? Now that seems like an innocuous enough question. Who is my neighbour? Jesus answers with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I'm not going to go into that today. Suffice to say that the point of that parable, that a Samaritan could be good, could do good, could act with kindness and generosity towards a Jew was scandalous to the point of offence that your neighbour whom you are to love is the person you hate, from the tribe you hate, with the values that you hate, that your neighbour is the other, the not you, the not like you. It's a reversal of the culture of the time. It's a 180 degree turn from the expected. The problem I have with the lawyer's question and the brilliance of Jesus' answer that it challenges prejudice, although that might be reason enough, is that the lawyer's question contains an assumption that has no place in God's kingdom. Who is my neighbour presupposes that there are those who are not my neighbour. Who is my neighbour is the same as asking who is not my neighbour. It presents a view of God's kingdom where there are those who are in and those who are out. It is fundamentally exclusive. You're either my neighbour or you're not. You're in or you're out. And that's the brilliance of Jesus' reply. It's the one who would definitely be out, who shows that he is the only one acting as one who is in. Jesus has no time for those who would exclude anyone from his kingdom. For the ridden Samaritan woman at the well at midday, or the little children of no cultural importance, or even the dogs who are still allowed to eat the crumbs from the table, Jesus' true answer to who is my neighbour is everyone. Back to the text then. Love your neighbour as yourself. The second part of the most important commandment. Love God and love people. Love people as you love yourself. Which is fine, except there are a lot of people who don't love themselves very much. Who really struggle with sin. Who are overcritical of themselves. Who even hurt themselves. Now I don't want to shirk away from this. We will all have loved ones who've struggled with their self-worth. Perhaps you find it hard to love yourself at times. Perhaps even today, right now, that's a struggle for you. I want to say that I see you. It's okay. I want to tell you how wondrous you are in God's eyes. How you carry this spark 
of the divine within you. How you are made in God's image and how he sees you made beautiful by Christ, redeemed and holy, clothed in Christ. How you have an inherent worth, how you are valuable to God, loved and cherished. Stands hard for you at times to accept that. And still he adores you. He knows the broken and bruised God knows how you struggle with that. He gets it. How can I love my neighbour if I can't love myself? Sometimes it's easier to love our neighbour than it is to love ourselves. It's a diversion. It's a distraction. All of your energy put into love others, so you don't have to think about yourself so much. Bless you. God sees you. Your worth isn't in what you do, how hard you work, commendable though that is. Your worth is inherent because you are loved by God. It's interesting. If you look at the lawyer's original question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, how do you inherit anything? It just comes to you. You don't earn it. You can't strive for it. You're not even really entitled to it. It is given to you. You are honoured. Worth saying that the expect those who inherit are in good relations with whoever you're inheriting from. And I can think of ways that you might be disinherited. But I can't really think of ways that you could guarantee an inheritance. So I suppose one answer to his question would be to stay in good relations with God and wait. Just be, be who you are in his eyes. Jesus' answer is better, obviously. You shall love the Lord your God, he replied, with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your understanding, and your neighbour as yourself. The lawyer asks, who is my neighbour? I want to ask, how should we love our neighbour? That's an interesting question to me. Because I am a practitioner. It's not enough for me just to be, even just to believe. I want to be doing something with it. Jesus says we should love our neighbour as ourselves. And while some people do have a hard time liking themselves, we have a tendency to be easy on ourselves. We judge ourselves on our intentions, but we judge others on their actions. As the old saying goes, before you judge someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. Then when you do judge them, you're a mile away and you have their shoes. How then are we to love our neighbour? In Scripture we find answers, primarily in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus expands on the very question of what sums up the law and the prophets. This from Matthew 7 and verse 12. So whatever you want people to do to you, do just that to them. Yes, this is what the law and the prophets are all about. This is what's known as the golden rule. Treat others the way that you would like to be treated. I love that. And I love that Jesus uses that proverb. 
But the interesting thing about that is that it's a universal moral proverb. It's found right across the whole of history. In comparative religions, it's found in Islam and Judaism and Buddhism and Sikhism and Hinduism. It's found in pretty much every religion known to man. And it's found in the secular world too. Atheists and agnostics would recognise the golden rule and embrace it as good and right moral law. And Jesus teaches exactly that. This is absolutely a unifying thought from Jesus. Treat other people not as they deserve, but as you would like to be treated. This is very close to love your neighbour as yourself, but I think it's more explicit. In Luke 6, the golden rule is in the middle of a section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus explains how we should love our enemies from verse 27. But this is my word, Jesus continued, for those of you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to people who hate you. Bless people who curse you. Pray for people who treat you badly. If someone hits you on the cheek, offer him the other one. If someone takes away your coat, don't stop him taking your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you and don't ask them for things back when people have taken them. Whatever you want people to do to you, do that to them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Think about it. Even sinners, people who love them. Or again, if you do good only to people who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Sinners do that too. If you lend only to people you expect to get things back from, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get paid back. No, love your enemies. Do good and lend without expecting any return. Your reward will be great. You will be children of the highest. He is generous, you see, to the stingy and the wicked. You must be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Don't judge, and you won't be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you a good helping, squashed down, shaken in, and overflowing. Total land in your lap. Yes, the ration you give to others is the ration you'll get back for yourself. Amen. That's how we are to love our neighbours. With such generosity that it will overflow. We are to love our neighbours abundantly, without judgment or prejudice. We are to love those who hate us. We are to give to those who ask. And we are to trust God. We are to trust God to bless us as we do. Our model in this is Jesus himself. It still just blows my mind when I think about what Jesus gave up for us. I've been a Christian for 32 years. And I feel like I'm only just scratching the surface of how deep Jesus' love goes, of how 
all-encompassing is his grace. I feel like I'm only just entering into some of the depths of the the lengths uh, uh, that his grace goes to. Philippians 2 tells us, although he is fully God, Jesus didn't hold on to his equality with God, but made himself nothing. You see, it's in his nature to be nothing. He made himself nothing and became a man, a slave, and he humbled himself and became obedient to death. It's astonishing that God should die. And in Philippians 2, that's not the end of it. Because it's death on a cross. It's Jesus put to death, executed because he loved us. Because he exemplifies what it is to love your neighbour. Jesus showed us what to do and he told us what to do. He told us how we are to love our neighbour. It was his last command, in fact, to his disciples. Jesus came towards them and addressed them. All authority in heaven and on earth, he said, has been given to me, so you must go and make all the nations into disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe everything I have commanded you, and look, I am with you every single day to the very end of the age. Jesus taught us how to love our neighbours by discipling them, by being disciples and discipling others. And I worry sometimes as a church, we have reduced discipleship. You see, Jesus' disciples weren't just followers. That's not really what a disciple is. Jesus' disciples wanted to be like him. We can see this all through Scripture. Their efforts to do the things that Jesus did. We see him teaching them, but that's not teaching in an abstract sense. Jesus' teaching was practical and real. He wasn't teaching them to understand what he did. He was teaching them to do what he did. He was teaching them to be like him. He was their example and their model. We see it during Jesus' earthly ministry when he sent out the 12 and then subsequently the 72 to minister to people, to heal and to teach and to bless. We see it in stories like Peter walking on the Sea of Galilee, going out to meet Jesus. We see it in his teaching and loving and guiding his disciples. Jesus nurtures them and he mentors them. And we see it after Jesus ascended, especially when the Spirit comes and fills and empowers. They preach. They do miracles. They minister with authority and authenticity. We read it in Paul's letters. We, the church, we are the body of Christ. That's not some theoretical concept. That's not an idea or a philosophy. We are literally to be Jesus in the communities that we are present in. We are to do the things that he did. We're not the body of Christ in some esoteric sense. We are literally to be Jesus when we meet people. That's how we love our neighbour. We are to make disciples. You see, we've reduced discipleship sometimes to Bible studies 
and prayer meetings, as if discipleship is something we do to other Christians, to one another. Now, there's nothing wrong with Bible studies and prayer meetings. I love Bible studies and prayer meetings, especially prayer meetings. I love them. They inspire me. I'm filled and inspired and challenged by prayer meetings. But that's not discipleship. Discipleship is when we want to be like people, like Jesus. If we're good disciples, we want to be like people who we see as being like Jesus. Discipleship is us striving to be like Jesus, to be more gracious, more loving, more giving, more accepting, more honest, more authentic, more joyful, more peaceful, more conciliatory, more patient, more gentle, kinder, better, more like Jesus. Discipleship is when we model that Jesus life for other people to see and experience. When people meet us, it should be like meeting Jesus. It's a pretty tough call, isn't it? It's hard. We have to model Jesus so that people look to us to see what Jesus is like. That's discipleship. Bible studies and prayer meetings are easy. Discipleship is hard. But that's how we love our neighbour. Truly, truly believe that. The good news here, though, is that Jesus knew and knows how hard this is. And he helps. Firstly, we know his grace. We know that firsthand. That is a personal experience for us to know his grace. We know how patient he is with us. We are not condemned. We are blessed with freedom and love and we exist in the grace of being in Christ. We are covered. We are clothed in Christ sons and daughters of the Most High God. Now, we can still make mistakes. We do, I do. Boy. Those mistakes are not held against us in God's kingdom and in his economy. This is the state in which we operate. Isn't that good news? And secondly, it's fun, right? It's fun. I love ministry. I love engaging with people in that spirit. It's an incredible privilege and an honour. We go in his name. We go in his strength. And we go with intention. And eventually, the closer we get to Jesus, because there's no tension, there's no disparity, there's no duality, no compartmentalizing of our life and that is wonderful we just carry that being with us it's who we are it's how we are seen it's how we find our identity in Jesus and it makes all of your encounters with people exciting and it makes all of your encounters with people potentially life-changing thirdly Jesus promises us his yoke is easy. What does that mean? Well, you're probably aware and you've probably heard it taught uh, in terms of the yoke of an oxen. 
which was like the wooden brace that bound two oxen together to plough a field. And that's true, but I don't believe that's what Jesus meant when he said, my yoke is easy. That that might be the root of the concept, that might be the kind of root of that picture. But for a rabbi, that's not what their yoke was. For a rabbi, a yoke is how they apply the law. A rabbi's yoke was how he applied the Torah. And they called it loosing and binding. Some rules would be applied rigorously, bound. And some would be all but disregarded, really, loosed. When Jesus says his yoke is easy, what he's saying is that these kingdom values are not driven by rules. It's not that the law is disregarded, but it's applied with grace and it's applied with patience, gentleness. And we are promised that we are given authority to loose and bind as we are guided by Spirit. That's incredible. What an incredible amount of authority we are given by God as disciples of Jesus. Matthew 16 and 19, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus promises us his yoke is easy, his burden is light, because we are children of God, because we are steeped in grace, because we know him. Personal experience that we have. This, then, is how we are to love our neighbour with love and with patience, with gentleness and kindness. We are to love them generously, abundantly, modelling Jesus. This is the truth that we share with them. They are loved by God, they carry the image of. God, the image of the divine, the imagio Dei within them. They have value and worth. They are precious. All of them, every one of them, has a place in God's kingdom. Who is my neighbour? Everyone. Everyone that you meet.